0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm sore today. On Friday night, a group of us played basketball, and uh, it was just kind of like winter stays, new teams come on, and I'd like to say my team never lost. That's not true. That's not true. It 1 30 in the morning, they lost the game after I quit. Just saying. And the only reason I say that is because they joked with me all day. They're like, you're gonna bring this up in your sermon, aren't you? i like, I wasn't going to, but I am now. Um, I scored five total points in 10 total games, but when I quit, when I quit, they lost. I'm just saying. Well, it's been really good to have you here with us today. It was an amazing weekend. I know some of you visiting, you don't really know or get it. It was just, it was fun. It was a blast. And uh, it was cool to get to know some of you and see faces and get to meet some of you that I don't normally get to meet on a Sunday. And it's just great. So look, anytime you could get away with us on one of those things, it's a great chance to meet other people. And the coolest thing was how many men showed up, honestly, ready to meet God. That was the craziest thing. So those wives sent your husbands, well done. Don't be surprised if he doesn't come back and talk much about it because he's a guy still. Um, But God began a work. The work isn't done. And so God's got work to do in the hearts of men. And we're still talking about how do we come alongside what God was doing and partner with him. And this message is going to be one of those. I just want to warn everybody. So if you're visiting with us today, we're not going to be swimming in the shallow end today. We're dumping real deep. We're just going real deep into the deep end. I decided for today's message to take on perhaps the most or second most complex book in the entire Bible, and to give it only one sermon and about a month of study, rather than what I would normally put 18 months into like one book, and I feel way overwhelmed. I feel way out of my league, but I've done my homework, I've done my research, and everything I have to say on what I will share, I feel fairly confident in what I'm about to share with you today. I also feel extremely confident that I could lose some of you on accident. And if that happens, if you're here with us today and you're like, I have no idea what the pastor is talking about, I only wanna encourage you to come back next week and give me a second chance. If, however, I don't lose you, but you find yourself wrestling with God, you will be just like the people this book was written to. If you have a Bible, you may wanna turn there. The book of Ezekiel. Yeah, exactly. Some of you went, ooh, he really is a crazy man. I've never preached on this book. This book scares me. But after a month of really intense study, I have a decent handle on it. But what I don't have a full decent handle on is trying to make sense of everything that God's doing in that. Has God ever felt confusing to you? Here's the reality. You go to a men's retreat and guys don't feel like they have to put up a front like they do here. And so guys start to open up a little, and they start to tell you things that they aren't talking about on a Sunday morning when you say, how you doing today? And everybody says the same answer, good, fine, okay, whatever it is. And they aren't telling you the deep hurt, the deep things really going on. But you go to retreat, and guys start opening up, and you find out that sometimes People are confused about what they need to do in their walk with God. People are confused about where they are. And sometimes we're confused as to why we're here or how we got here. And let me just say right now, because this is part of the setup for the book, sometimes we are where we are because we've made poor choices. And we want somebody else to blame besides ourselves. Sometimes, however, We are where we are because of other people's choices and we're confused at what God is doing in the middle of it. Sometimes life just happens and God is still yet confusing to us. But if I do anywhere decently what I'm trying to accomplish to do today, I hope I can leave you with an anchor for your soul. So before we dig in any further to this book, because we're just going to do a whole bunch of reading for a little bit. I just want to pray. Let's pray. Oh, God. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the chance to be in the car with you. Thank you for the chance to sit and worship and be led by a great teacher and great worship team. Thank you for just getting to sit among 120 or 30 men and just hear them sing to you. For the vulnerability that was presented there, the way you broke down walls, Allowed men to come before you, open. And God, I just pray right here, what started there will carry over into this room. God, I pray right here, right now, that you would bring us to your presence, open our eyes and our hearts, that we would see you for who you are and speak to us. God, there's something, I I could talk, I could talk all day, but if your spirit isn't here, nothing is gonna change, nothing is gonna happen. So God, may your spirit show up and do your work in us as we desperately, desperately need you to do. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm just going to read and resist every urge that I have to talk. Then we'll come back and talk. Before I read, I want you to hear why I chose this series. Last year at one point I was just with the Lord and I said, God, I think I've forgotten just how big you are. And I need you to reveal to me how big you are. So what happened is as I was beginning to write this series, the Lord led me to the idea to go and look up what we would call the theophany texts of the Bible. If I haven't already lost you, a theophany is just when God reveals himself in some way or another. And so then we have these different places. We looked at one at Exodus where God comes down on the mountain and we get a little bit of a glimpse of who God is. And we're gonna look at one of those right now In Ezekiel chapter 1, it is hands down one of the most confusing things you're going to see. And I just want you to grasp how confusing it is before I make sense of it. So go ahead, Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to verse 4. I have the NIV, and everything that I'm reading will be up here. So if you didn't know how to find Ezekiel, no stress, don't worry about it, it'll be up here for you. Ezekiel chapter 1, pick up a verse (coughs) 4. Excuse me, Ezekiel writes this. I looked And I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had "'Human hands. "'All four of them had faces and wings, "'and the wings of the one touched the wings of another. "'Each one went straight ahead. "'They did not turn as they moved. "'Their faces looked like this. "'Each of the four had the face of a human being, "'and on the right side, each of the face of a lion, "'on the left side, the face of an ox. <clears throat> "'Each also had the face of an eagle. <coughs> "'Excuse me, such were their faces.' They had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creature sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creature faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Anybody ever feel confused (laughs) by God? Ezekiel didn't exactly know what to do with what he saw either. This isn't the end of his description. We're just pausing for a minute to take a breath and go, huh? Now, if you were to Google this passage, you will find some fantastical stuff by ancient aliens saying that this is the Bible's way of letting you know that somewhere in our past, aliens from another planet came down here in some sort of UFO with, they say eyes, it just means lights, like think encounters of the whatever kind it was. I wasn't even old enough to know what that movie was. I'm only like 25. And anyway, um, my grade gives me away, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, and that these aliens came and they planted some sort of DNA and they'd just been watching from a distance. I remember all these movies about Mars came out in like the early 2000s and that was kind of the root of them all, like we are, we are just enthralled with this concept that there are aliens who started us. And as I'm gonna show you today, this has nothing to do with aliens. Nothing to do with aliens. But what in the world does it have to do with? Well, whoa! almost knocked that over, that would've been bad. I want you to see, before you understand exactly what we're doing, You have to understand the way it's impacting Ezekiel. Take a look with me at Ezekiel chapter one, verse 28. Ezekiel says this, when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's just come in with almighty God. So is this what almighty God looks like? faces on all sides and wings all over the place and funky wheels and is this what God looks like? And my answer would be no. And yes and no, and yes and no. And definitely more no than yes, but yes and no. Something very specific is going on in Ezekiel chapter one. And this isn't just Bible study. It doesn't, excuse me, when you sing really loud for three days is what happens. It doesn't just help us to read the Bible and understand it in its original context. We also have to ask the question, what does it mean for us today? And that is where the real meat of the story is relevant for us. Because their story is our story. Ezekiel is at a very unique time in Israel's history. There's a passage I didn't read for you yet, Ezekiel chapter one, verse three. If you notice, we started verse four. I wanna read it for you now. Ezekiel chapter one, verse three says this. In my 30th year, In the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. The reason I put that verse after the description is because that little verse gives you so much meat about what's happening and the rest of the book. For one, we know from this one verse, so you guys can just leave that up there for a few minutes, we know from this one verse that the 30th year means he's now 30 years old. And that's relevant because Normally, he would be a priest. Turns out Ezekiel's a Levite. The Levite was the tribe who served in the temple, and their service began at 30 years old, also when Jesus' ministry began, which is a little interesting note for you when we're looking at Jesus. And his ministry would have began, except for that he's nowhere near the temple. He can't begin a service. How do we know that? Because he's by the exiles by the Kabar River. What does that mean? Well, it tells you where we are in Hebrew history. In Hebrew history, these Israelites were now exiled, captivated, or not captivated, (laughs) they were uh, seized, I guess you would say, by the Babylonians and carried off into exile. The Babylonians have come in, not once, but they're going to come in again and ransack Jerusalem. The kingdom is split into two kingdoms, and if I had time to give a whole uh, entire Old Testament history lesson, maybe I would be able to give you a little more insight. You're just going to have to trust me. There are northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, it's all part of the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, but they split because the kings got greedy, and that's the short version. There you go. And basically, the people of God are not obeying the covenant that we looked at last week in Exodus 19. God made very clear what the covenant would look like. The covenant was based off the fact that God would have a relationship with his people as long as his people followed all of the laws, all of the rules, and all of the decrees. The first and most important one is do not, do not under any circumstances worship the false gods of the other nations. And over time, Israel started dabbling with them then they started dating them and before they knew it they will full-on married them and God didn't just show up and blow the whole thing up he sent prophet after prophet after prophet he gave warning after warning after warning and to no avail nothing was changing nothing was happening so God allowed Babylon to come in and he said okay I'm getting out of the way then. I'm getting out of the way. I'm gonna let these people do to you as they do to everybody. And they did. And it was bad. But it was gonna get worse. And that's part of the point of this book. See, if you get nothing else out of today, but I really hope there's at least one or two things you really get, but this is the first one I want you to get, okay? God Longs for a people who will live for him. That's what God longs for. If we were going to study just the book of Ezekiel, first of all, it would probably take us four to 12 weeks. When I did Revelation, I'm so glad that I could say as a pastor, I did Revelation. Like, hey, I got that one done. You ever want to hear it? Go back because I don't necessarily know that I want to go back to it again. But if we were going to study the book of Ezekiel, it would take us easily, easily eight to 12 weeks. Of doing it week in and week out, week in and week out, and giving it 45 minutes or more. And in order to set up the true book of Ezekiel, you know where I'd have to go first? I'd have to go all the way back to a garden in Genesis chapter one, two, and three. And the reason I'd have to take you back there is because when God made this beautiful garden, He made it all. He put the, the stars in their place and the planets in their place and He put the even the garden in his place. It says God made a garden. Then he took the dust from outside the garden he made Adam and he put Adam in the garden. Adam did nothing but show up. Then he took out of Adam part of himself and he made Eve and Eve just shows up and it literally says over and over and over there, naked and have no shame. Naked and have no shame. That's a powerful statement. And they walk with God and God gives them a rule. He says, hey, you guys, obey me, but there's only one rule. Just don't eat of this tree and they don't obey. And what's fascinating is what direction do the Israelites go at that point? Out of the garden, in the direction of Babylon. And the journey of God is to bring his people out of wherever they are and back toward himself. Everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, New Testament, Old Testament, is God drawing people back to himself. And that's what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. But it's coming through some of the most grotesque and painful situations and stories the Israelite people will have known at any point in time in the entire Bible. In fact, all of this is coming as a byproduct of God keeping his word. We have a word keeping God. And that is amazing, by the way, I mean, it's terrible when you're being disciplined, but it is phenomenal when you need to know, is God faithful? Is God gonna fail me? Is God gonna show up? When I am at my most desperate point in all of life, can I trust him? And God reveals over and over and over again, he is a faithful, covenant-keeping God, and everything he says he will do, he will do. So what is he doing with these exiles by the Kabar River. All of this comes out of, there's more than one passage, I'll show you one of them, Leviticus chapter 26. By the way, at the men's retreat, you men, I told you Leviticus 24, I told you the wrong chapter, so if you read it, it made no sense. Leviticus 26, here's part of it. Part of the covenant with God was, I'll be your God, you be my people, here's my laws and here's my decrees. But verse 14 says this, but if you will not listen to me, and carry out all these commands, And if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. What God is beginning to describe to the Israelites is the nature and the relationship of the covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people. As long as you live with me and you stay in me and you remain in me, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna always make sure you have what you need. This is how things like the year of Jubilee, where every 49 years, they just take a year off. Like, so every seven years, it's a Sabbath. Like, you don't work the land. You just let it sit. It's because God says, don't worry about it. The land will produce enough for you, even if you don't work it. You're gonna get a whole year off. Imagine your company saying that. And then in the year of Jubilee, in the 50th year, so every seven, sevens would be 49. In the 50th year, you get another year off. All debts are erased. Everybody gets to go back to zero and start over. So two years in a row of Sabbath, and as far as we know, the Israelites never saw the year of Jubilee. Why? Why? If I failed to keep the covenant over and 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 God is just looking for somebody who will live for him. Isn't there anybody out there who will obey me? And God promises if you read it, I'm only reading you the part where God says if you don't, here's what's gonna happen. God, if you do, I'm gonna bless you like you've never seen, you've never known. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna provide for you. Just keep Loving me. But the people hardened their hearts and fell away. God is merciful. He's gracious. He's patient. He warned them and he warned them and he warned them and he warned them. And you know what they did most of the time? They killed the prophets. Jesus even tells a story like this. It's a parable. But he talks about uh, sending one uh, servant, and they kill it. And he sends another servant, they kill it. He sends another servant, he kills it. So finally, the the master of this land decides he's going to send his son, and they kill him too. Do you know what that's a connection to? The history of the people. Every time a Jeremiah shows up, every time an Isaiah shows up, every time an Ezekiel shows up, nobody will listen to the guy. The son will show up. They won't listen to him either. Instead, they harden their hearts and refuse to believe. If you keep reading in Leviticus, it gets worse, by the way. Please don't do that right now. It's just going to ruin you. But God says in Leviticus 26, and if you don't do this, then I'll do this. And then if you still won't listen to me, then I'll do this. If you still don't listen to me, then I'll do this. And it gets really bad, really, really, really bad. By the time you get down to verse 27, it says stuff. I didn't want to put this on the screen because I didn't want it to stick in your brain as much. It says stuff like this. And in spite of this, if you still don't listen to me but continue to be hostile towards me, then in my anger, I'm going to be hostile towards you. And I will, I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over, seven being the perfect complete number in the Bible. So completely, I will punish you. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places. I will cut down your incense altars and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. And I will abhor you. I will not, I will no longer love you. I will hate you. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries. I will take no delight in the pleasing aromas of your offerings. I myself will lay waste the land so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword to pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. I, I don't know how to say this, guys. We live in a world, nobody wants to hear that God judges us. And we're actually told in the last days, love will grow cold And people will turn away from truth to hear only what their itching ears want to hear. But sometimes, as a pastor, I feel the burden that God placed on Ezekiel. In chapters two and three and four, God tells Ezekiel, Here it is, Ezekiel. Actually, I think it even goes into chapter five. He says, Ezekiel, I'm going to tell you what to say to these people. And if you don't say it, it's your responsibility. So if there's a man who's living in unrepentant evil and you tell him what you're supposed to tell him and he repents, great. But if he doesn't repent, that then he will be punished for not repenting. But Ezekiel, if you don't tell him exactly what I tell you to tell him, then he will still be punished for doing what he's doing, but you will also be punished, his punishment, for failing to do what I told you to do. And sometimes that's the burden of being a pastor is the reality of trying to deliver God's word in such a way that I'm honest with what it says, even though it's hard and even though it's uncomfortable and people don't want to hear it and they might send you emails. Thank God I live in a country where email might be the worst that I get. But listen, I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you. And man, I need another half hour. I'm looking at this clock going, oh man, we don't care about the kids today, right? They'll be fine, we'll just carry them over to the 11. I'm joking, but I gotta move. But there's a lot more to say But what you need to get is this is the relationship. But listen, I told you last week, and you may miss this if you're visiting with us today, I told you last week, the whole point of the series is to look at the Father so then we could look at the Son. And we're about to look at the Son, but we gotta finish looking at the Father. Let me try to put a little handles on what you've seen so far. What is happening? Let me show you a few quick images, and I'll try to explain these. These are ancient Babylonian iconography, I think it's called. These are things you would find in ancient Babylonian worship. You'll notice in this particular image, long legs. It was in the the description. A face on all four sides. Go to the next one, what you see here is beings underneath a platform with a God on top and beings underneath. We're gonna read that in just a second in Ezekiel 1. Here's another picture, we see kind of the same thing, animals underneath, platforms on top, wheels involved. This is all ancient Babylonian worship stuff. And the reason that's relevant is because what you just read in Ezekiel 1, and oh, by the way, it's repeated again in Ezekiel chapter 10, is God's way of saying something tremendously important. It's God's way of saying, though you're in captivity, though you're experiencing great pain, though you don't understand what's happening, though it looks like Babylon has won, though it looks like I've quit on you, none of that is true. None of that is true. Take a look at the rest of Ezekiel's image, chapter one, verse 20. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels along with them, because the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. This is so critical to understanding what's happening. What Ezekiel has been describing for you, what God allowed him to see was these, some sort of angelic being carrying on. You're gonna see this in the next few verses. I'm just telling you before you hear it, so you can hear it and then go, oh, seeing some sort of platform, and on top of the platform is a throne, and on top of the throne is God Himself. In other words, what God is saying in this image is even though the false gods of a false nation seem to be winning the day, they're not. I am still seated on my throne. And he's using all the imagery of ancient Babylon to mock them and to say, I'm in control. And I wish if I had more time, I'd go into the image. But a couple things I want to point out about the image itself. Notice it has the face, each of the faces. We've got an eagle and we've got an ox and we've got a, (coughs) excuse me, a human. And we've got another one that I'm totally forgetting. Thank you, a lion, I'm glad you're listening. And a lion. (laughs) Each of these animals is the king on the earth of its domain. The eagle of the air, the lion of the jungle, the human of it all, so to speak, and the ox of agriculture. We're talking about an agricultural society. So even in the faces that are shown, Ezekiel sees who's over all of it. The one on the throne. He's on top. So even when the Things of the world seem to be raging out of control. And oh, by the way, Babylon worshipped all of these things. But even when it looks like everything is lost and out of control, the one who sits on the throne is still seated on the throne. That's the point of the image. See, in this little verses we just read, and the spirit is in the wheels. And we're told in the New Testament, we're gonna spend five weeks here in a few weeks, we're gonna spend five weeks in a row just studying the Spirit. And it's not enough time, but it's all we got. But we're told in the New Testament, the Spirit's like the wind. The Holy Spirit of God is like the wind. He blows where he wants, he goes where he wants. You ever notice when you're outside, you ever golf, anybody here golf? You know how you figure out which way the wind is blowing? You pick up the grass and you you drop it, and whichever way the wind blows, that's the way it's going. Then you step up to hit your ball and you feel the wind switch direction. And that's why I'm a bad golfer, it's the wind's fault. And what the vision that God gave Ezekiel is this is the spirit who moves. It's God the Father. It's God the Son. It's God the Spirit all right here in an image for you. And the wheels go wherever God tells it to go like that. It can go left and go right and go forward and go backward and go any combination. It can go any direction it wants just like that because God wills it and it goes and I realize, again, we're, we're in the deep end, right? Because like if you got some Bible training and you come to Kingsway on a regular basis, I'm teaching you on this, there's all kinds of dots that could be connecting for you right now. So this is how God works in our lives. He doesn't come to me and say, Matt, what do you think I ought to do here? He simply moves and he says, Matt, I'm doing something. I need you to show up and go do it. Go. I've already been working. I've already prepared. I've already been moving. I just need somebody who's gonna live for me. I see somebody who's going to be obedient to me. I see somebody who's going to do what I'm telling them to do because I go where I want when I want. I move where I want when I want. And the spirit was in the wheels. The spirit was in the wheels, meaning he was moving it. It was obeying. It was following. Do you, do you see how really simple the image is, even though it's extremely confusing? Look at the next verse. Verse 22. This is where we start to see the throne spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like something like a vault, sparkling like crystal, and awesome. Then there came a voice, verse 25, sorry, then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. We just went from father to son in a Verse. Who showed us an image of God as a man? What's his name? Jesus. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. That would be an awesome image. Verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. When else in the Bible was the rainbow relevant? In Noah's story, where God judged sin and wiped it out, but didn't end the story. He could have. Maybe you could argue he should have, but he didn't. Because God's been looking for one thing this whole time. Someone who will be obedient and live for him but over and over and over again from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy to Joshua to Judges to Ruth, I don't need to keep going. You get where I'm going. All the way through, he can't find anybody who will live for him. But God sends a flood, wipes out all the evil, starts over, sends a rainbow. You can still trust me. Here's a new covenant for us. I'll never do this again. I'll never judge in this way again. But he's still looking. He can't find it. He can't find it until almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus shows up. And at 30 years old, he begins his priestly ministry. And he lives every day of his life in full submission to the Father. Even when he doesn't have a place to lay his head, even when life doesn't make sense, even in a garden where God seems confusing, he just keeps living for God. And maybe more than anything, that's what we need to know. And so when God is most confusing, we have to trust that He's good. And He's doing something. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel says, when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. I love this little quote. I think it summarizes this whole section really well by an Old Testament Hebrew professor named Michael Heiser. He says, during during their time of exile, the Jewish captives might have easily believed that Yahweh had abandoned them forever. Likewise, the Babylonians could have simply assumed their gods had defeated Yahweh and ruled the heavens and the earth unchallenged. But Ezekiel's imagery sends a message to the Jews in exile and to their Babylonian captors. Both assumptions are flawed. Yahweh has not been defeated, nor has he turned away from his people Israel. He remains seated in his chariot throne at the center of his domain, the entire cosmos. When we read Ezekiel 1 through ancient eyes, we could feel the same hope today. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can know that an all-powerful God is active and present in our lives. Man, that's such a good word. I ought to just stop the sermon right here. I mean, I'm out of time. Do you think I could get a few more minutes? Bread, I'm not asking you. Joking. I need to show you a little bit more in the book because everything I just said is true but it doesn't resolve your problem and my problem because I'm still seeking Matt Nickerson I'm still seeking to live for him I'm still seeking to be obedient to him but I got a problem Paul can identify with my problem because in Romans chapter 7 he describes it for us he says it seems like the good I ought to do I don't do And the thing I ought not to do, that's the thing I do. Oh, what a wretched man I am. I have this problem. I know God wants me to live for him, and I know God wants me to be obedient for him, but I can't seem to get it right. Which is why Ezekiel, later on, tells us in chapter 34, and I don't have this for you. You might just have to write this one down. I added this later. Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24, he says this, I'm gonna place over them one day my servant David. David's been dead for hundreds of years and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In other words, even though I've carried you off in exile, even though he prophesies in those first few chapters, the temple is gonna be destroyed, even though it's gonna look like you've lost, even though everything is gonna be horrible and painful, one day, one day, one day, I'm sending a new king. He's gonna be a shepherd, and he's gonna love you and care for you, and he's gonna watch over you, and his name is Jesus. In fact, we get into chapter 36, and I love this. God says this, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. So even though when Babylon came in, people dispersed to all these other nations. One day, I'm going to grab you out of those. I'm going to bring you home. And what's he say? I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. It is a picture of baptism. The reason we preach baptism at Kingsway is not because we think the water has any magical powers to heal you, it's because it's God fulfilling His promise to you. I will bring you to myself, I will do it. And when you come, I'm not gonna say, fix yourself, I'm not gonna say, get your stuff put together. I'm gonna say, you come to me and I'll wash you like a mama does, like a doctor does when a baby's born and they wash the baby clean of everything and hand this newborn life to the mama and say, here you go. That's the analogy. In fact, go read Ezekiel, it's exactly the analogy. God's hurt because he said, I did this to you. I found you, I made you. Like a baby, I cleaned you, but I will do it again. I'll do it again. And this is why I say, look, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you've never been united with him at baptism, boy, is it a powerful moment. It's a moment where you come to God and say, I'm done trying to earn my salvation but I thought God wanted somebody who will live for him. Oh, he does. The problem that you and I have is, apart from God giving you his spirit to move whatever direction he longs for you to move, you're gonna do human effort over and over and over, and you're gonna try and fail and fail and try and try and fail over and over and over. But one day, when you surrender to him, you join him in baptism, he's gonna wash you and fill you and do something in you you can't do on your own. This is why Paul in Romans chapter eight, verse one, says, praise be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I can live for him too because the spirit in me is, is working against my spirit, is fighting against me to move me in the direction of God. Keep reading in Ezekiel. This is what he says. Just so, this is like prophecy coming true in God. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Did you hear it? Oh, it is so beautiful. Maybe we need to take those like 12 months and do Ezekiel sometime. The whole idea is that God is gonna take out the heart of stone give you again this beating thing in your chest that longs to live for and please him. And you can't get that apart from Jesus because you can't do it on your own. I'll wrap up with this. Ezekiel chapter 37, the next chapter. God leads Ezekiel. We think it's a vision. But when we see visions in the Bible, we don't know if it's literal. Like, did God whisk them away, or is it just in their mind? Paul talks, we'll actually look at this in this series. But Paul even says, I don't even know if I was there physically or if I was just there like, in like a dream state. I don't know, but it was so real. As God shows Ezekiel a valley, and it's dead, and it's dry, and there's all these dead bodies in the valley, and they've decayed. And there's nothing left but skeleton. God looks out and says, is it possible for these dead things to come alive again? Ezekiel's like, I don't know. You're God, is it? Take a look with me. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, by the way. Ah, more time. The word for the Holy Spirit, <laughs> Breath the breath of God, the life of God. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and stood up on their feet, a vast army. In other words, when Ezekiel, Heard the word of God and he did what God said. God took what was dead, had no life left, and he raised it from the dead and he brought life and he put it back into it. It's a picture first with Jesus and it looked like his story was over and it was dead and gone. There was no more hope, but God was not done with the story. So he breathed life and he raised him from the dead and he used him. So now when Jesus shows up and he says, if anyone is in me and I am in him, he will also raise to life. She will raise to life and I will take what's dead. When there's no hope, when there's no answers, when it looks like there's nothing left that could be done, I am the God of the impossible and I will do it says the Lord, and I'll be their God, yeah, and they'll be my people, and I'll raise up a vast army. Let me just see if I can make this apply in 30 seconds or less. I don't know where you are in your walk with God today, I don't know. But I know this, God intends to bring life where there's death. So listen, if you're far from God, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been washed clean, united with him in baptism, I wanna challenge you today to do that. You don't even have to wait a week. We can get you ready. We do it next service. We can do it after the service, whatever. But please, don't go one day longer than you know you're ready. A guy at the retreat decided he wanted to do this. He's gonna get baptized next service. Yeah, that's awesome. And you could join him. And when he went home and told his wife, she said, I want to do it too. She wants to get baptized next week. Listen, don't wait one minute longer to let God raise your life from the dead. But if you're experiencing death in this world, death in this life, these people that God wrote the book of Ezekiel to, they're in exile suffering because of somebody else's decisions. God is keeping a remnant of his people so he can raise something beautiful out of. They're experiencing the pain of other people's choices. And sometimes that feels like death to us when we're carrying the weight of other people's sins. But even in that situation, God brings life from death if you'll let him. And we're gonna actually eat that and drink that right now. All around the room, you're gonna find tables with communion on them. And We're going to take the bread and take the juice, and we're going to remember that God gave us life in this bread and in this juice, because the bread and the juice represents Jesus. And As you do that, please don't let this just be another sermon, and I pray it wasn't just a commentary on Ezekiel 1. I pray that this is something that is challenging you. Where does God want to bring life into your life if you'll let him have it? On those tables, you'll find boxes for communion, also boxes on the back of our, or sorry, for offerings, also boxes on the back of the walls. And let God's spirit wash over you while we sing. Don't rush this moment, okay? And if you're ready to give your life to Christ today, we will have people wearing Connect shirts. Just come to one of them and say, I gotta do it. I gotta quit fighting against this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know what you're doing in this place, but God, would you ruin us? Would you wreck our lives? God, we get so self-dependent, and then we fail, and then we fail, and then we struggle, and then we fail. And you are just looking for somebody, somebody who will surrender and follow the Spirit. God, may your Spirit join with our Spirit and fight against our Spirit and our flesh's desires. May you contend with us, God, that we would live for you and not for ourselves I like the wheels in this weird image, God, that we would just go wherever You go and follow You wherever You lead us, and that God, we'd be obedient. And God, if anybody in here has been living in disobedience, rather than continuing it one more minute, today would be a day where they say, it stops right here, right now. And God, would you take the hardened hearts that we can have sometimes towards you, and would you just shatter it, break it into pieces, and instead give us a heart of flesh that is soft and tender and moldable towards you in your ways. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray, amen.